Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. One thing I think we all need to talk about more, but also really focus on is, am I really connecting with whether it's my child or the children that I see regularly? What can we do to just make slightly more meaningful connections? Amelia Phillips has been a health coach for over 23 years, holding an exercise science degree with a master's in nutrition. She was the co-founder of the Michelle Bridges 12WBT, appears regularly in the media, is a health and fitness expert on Channel 9's Today Show, and hosts a podcast series for mums called Healthy Her. She had four kids in five years and is now dedicating a lot of her time educating families on health, both mental and physical. Amelia loves nothing more than working with people who want to step out of the shadows of self-doubt, find their passion and live a life full of purpose. Amelia and I are almost neighbours here in the beautiful northern beaches of Sydney, so it was a delight to sit down in person and discuss a different but very worthwhile and interesting topic of some little things that we can all do to improve the connection of the young people around us. Amelia, it's so great to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. Can't wait to get into this conversation today. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I really feel like we need to talk more about connecting with our kids in meaningful ways. Now, I'm not just talking about parents here, although, of course, that's really important. I'm talking about all of us connecting with the kids within our community, whether it's our kids, nieces, nephews, your neighbor's kids, kids that you just see around on the street, in your local community, because we are facing a a mental health crisis with kids right now. Suicide is a leading cause of death in Australians under 25 years of age, and the annual number of young Australians who died by suicide has nearly doubled over the last decade. Probable serious mental illness has risen from 21 to 29% over the last five years. And the main concerns that kids have that we're seeing coming up in the research is coping with stress, school, study problems, coping with depression and anxiety and body image. There's a myriad of reasons why this is happening. And I don't, I don't I want to be solutions focused today. We, we could talk for hours and hours on the problem, but let's focus on the solutions. So what we can do right now within our power is to help raise the resilience of the kids around us. Mm. Now, I'm really lucky in what I do with my podcast series that I get to interview unbelievably amazing people that are experts in their field. And recently I interviewed Dr. Lynn Worsley, who is the go-to person in resilience in kids and in adults as well. And what really struck me when I chatted with her was how important 
community and connection is when it comes to resilience. Mm. I don't know about you, but when I think of resilience initially, it's that kind of that idea of getting back up when you fall down, dusting yourself off, keeping on going. And as she talked about resilience and the importance of connection with your community, um, it struck me that the people that can get up and dust themselves off again after you know, a drama of whatever, stress, whatever that might be. Why are those people able to do it and other people aren't able to do it? And what it comes down to is connection. And the good news is, as a parent, I feel the weight of, you know, my kids' mental health on my shoulders. But as as we look at this model, which I'm going to talk about in a moment that she has, has developed called the Resilience Donut, the parental unit is actually a small part of it. And obviously you come from a space like your history, you know, you're a trained what, 23 yeah. years in terms of health and yes. nutrition and yes. all that sort of space to move into, you know, you've got four kids within uh, Yeah, I had four kids in five years. I don't know. Just don't Crazy. ask me I thought why. you were smart. When I, was I know. <laughs> I know. I honestly, I don't, I don't know what we were thinking. But anyway, it's a bit late. You can't, they have a no, no returns policy. Yeah. So. And also I think probably the stuff you've learned from that, that's why you decided to do your Healthy Her podcast to then help others through, you know, some of the um, things that you were finding challenging and, yes. and navigating because you're such a, um, you know, a, a person that loves to learn about stuff. So you kind of research a lot, don't you? You're kind of digging into yeah, lots of things. Yeah, I, I, I do a lot of research and I also found that I just felt like I was in this kind of perfect storm of having the research background, the training, the 23 years of experience working both one-on-one and in big online groups as well, um, but then having the real-life practical experience of being a mum and realising that, you know, all that, you know, research and training, you've got to actually apply it as well. Yes. So I just feel like yeah, I've kind of, I can put it through the research lens, but also then make it really functional and practical. Mm. And I, I mean, even for me that doesn't have kids, your podcast is fabulous because some of the topics that you talk about are really, you know, they're broad. So it's yeah. actually really interesting about, you know, mental health and, and actually nutrition and How all those kind of elements. Well, yeah, that, that's a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can apply it. So let's come back then to that around the connection point, because how you started off, I think, was beautiful because I have a um, really strong connection to so many kids in my life. Like, That's great to hear. You know, my girlfriend's kids, like, yeah. the, you know, my godchildren, all those yeah, sort of elements. And I love children. Like, I've always um, really loved kids. And it's nice to know that that actually not only does it make us all feel good, but, you know, you're saying that there's a potential science around the fact that actually that's helping them from a, you know, mental health you, aspect. You actually have no idea about the little connection connections that you make with the children around you and the impact it's having. I'm going to give you one really small, simple example, and then I want to talk about the resilience donut because I think it's a really good visual way to, to understand how we can help build resilience. My daughter, Charlotte, who's year one at Avalon Public School, and um, talking about connecting with your outer community. First term at school, she had a big graze down the middle of her nose, like this big, you know, <laughs> bloody, crusty graze on her nose. Can't remember how she did it. Anyway, um, and I drum into my kids, when you cross the crossing with a lollipop man, you have to say thank you. So, you know, every day crossing the crossing, she would say thank you. And then one day she, you know, looked up at him and said thank you in the first week. And he said, you're welcome, nosy, because, you know, she had this big graze on her nose. 
And then now they've developed this really cute little thing months and months later where he still calls her nosy and she loves crossing the crossing and it's just this little thing. And now all they do is she looks at him and smiles and he touches his nose. And what that is, is that is a signal to her that I matter to someone, Mm. that someone outside my parental unit thinks about me, might care about me, thinks I'm funny, thinks I'm important. And that's actually what the foundation of resilience is. It's a bit like, you know, the, the, the big Moreton Bay fig that has the roots underneath, you know, that are almost as large as the actual tree itself. These connections that we make with children outside of our community are those roots. Mm-hmm. So Lynn, Lynn talks about the resilience donut. And um, if you imagine a donut, the center or the hole in the middle of the donut is the child or yourself. A resilience donut works for all of us, but let's use a child. Think of a child at the moment that you might know of that is not sparkling right now. Have, a, have, a ch- have that child in your head. They're not sparkling. They're you know, lacking in self-esteem or maybe they're going through a trauma of some sort. So the center of the donut is the child and is the statement, I can, I have, and I am. The more resilient the child is, obviously those statements, I can, I have, I am, are going to be very positive statements. The donut, the doughy part of the donut, is divided into seven factors that enhance resilience or diminish resilience, but they're the seven factors that can help create that soft donut around the child to bolster their resilience. And I'm going to go through what those seven factors are. So the first one is the parental factor, pretty straightforward. Okay, so if someone's got a good parental unit that will boister resilience, it's things like parents who show warmth, closeness, intimacy with a child, but who still have authority, responsibility. They have close monitoring of their children's and adolescents' activities, but they also give them trust and freedom. So the second of the seven is the skill factor. So these are skills that the child might have. It could be anything from literacy and numeracy to being able to skateboard. It's a skill that the child thinks to themselves, I'm good at this. I can. I can ride a bike really well. To sort of tap into confidence, is yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The family and identity factor. And if that's strong, that's with kids that are proud of their family. Like one of Lockie's friends at school, his dad was a big environmentalist. And Lockie was telling me all about his friend, sorry, not his dad, his friend's granddad was this environmentalist. You can see this kid is bursting with pride about his granddad. So if your family and identity factor is high, that's when you've got the aunties and the uncles and the grandparents that you feel connection with and that they love you no matter what no matter what you do. Then you've got the education factor. And the interesting thing about the education factor is it's got nothing to do with your academics and what the child is doing, but the child needs to feel valued as an individual and diversity is respected in the school. The child needs to feel valued in their school. So it doesn't matter if they're an average child, as long as they're feeling valued and they've got that strong connection, then that will be high. Then you've got the peer factor and uh, strong peer friendships. But what's really important in this, the research shows that there needs to be conflict present and resolution of conflict present as well. You know, I think that's helpful for a lot of parents that, you know, see the friendship fires happening and things like that um, around them, that that conflict is actually an important part of resilience building within that peer group. And then the last two are the community factor 
and that's things like the lollipop man example that I gave you, or just where there is a significant adult outside of the family or school who takes an active interest in the child. And it can be as little as, as the lollipop man example to as big as, you know, a coach taking a really active involvement in the child. Mm. And then the last one is the money factor. And with the money factor, again, it's got nothing to do with wealth of a family. The children that score really well on the money factor are the children that understand the ability to save and understand the ability to manage money, understand the consequences of you know spending too much and then the downside of that. So you see the pattern forming with a lot of these and the same with the, the earlier um, factor that I spoke to you about with the skill factor, the ability to fail at that skill and then get back up again. Mm. So how, what do you do then? So what is it, like a rating score or yeah, so how does it book, work? The book that Lynn has, and I, it's a great book, I highly recommend it, um, you can actually rate, like at the end of each of those factors, you can score yourself or your child. But what I love and what I thought was a game changer and where I make a big mistake with my parenting is that you only need three of those factors to be firing to have a strong, resilient child. Mm. And most most of us go straight to the factors that aren't doing very well, that are scoring badly and want to improve on those. That's just the way our brains work. But actually what Lynn says you have to focus on is the factors that are scoring well and you keep building on those. She said if you focus on the areas that are not scoring well, that middle, that hole in the donut becomes I cannot, I have not, and I am not. That was a game changer for me because I always focus on, oh, you, you know, your reading's going so well. Let's really work on your mouse because that's where things are really bad. But that starts to create that self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm not very good at something. Whereas if you have a child that's brilliant at skateboarding or, or brilliant at, you know, a particular hobby, you keep doubling down on that with them and that voices their resilience and then they will apply themselves more in, yeah, in other sense. areas. And yeah. that's what... That's what gives them that strength when the chips are down. Yeah, and I mean, having that sort of confidence, I guess, in one area, you know, also the resilience probably leads into the less fear of failure, you know, and and sort of happy to try something and step out of their comfort zone versus if you're in a sort of a downward spiral that I'm not good at anything, then they're not going to ever kind of feel confident to try new stuff, are they? So it makes sense. And as I said, like thinking about kids and stuff that I have in mind when you were talking all through that, but also absolutely can apply to us as adults, like really obvious. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. You know, our brains are hardwired to look for threats and negatives. Mm -hmm. And so it's this self-coaching and we are the frontal lobe for our children. We are the logical thinking for our children because then our frontal lobe's not fully developed till we're in our 20s. And so it's up to us to keep reminding those children of the areas that they're good at. And this comes through that connection. And so, you know, my wish and one thing I think we all need to talk about more, but also really focus on is, am I really connecting with whether it's my child or the children that I see regularly, or is there something 
what can we do to just make slightly more meaningful connections? Yeah, well, that was probably leading into the question. And I think it's a beautiful term that, you know, for a lot of my mates now that their kids are older and have kind of, you know, moved on and left the home. So how do we then keep continuing to connect with other people's children in all different ages um, as we sort of progress through life? So what kind of advice do you have on that? I might break it up into the ages and just do some chunks because it's, you know, quite different. So not to three, (laughs) easy way to connect um, is baby play. So if you've got, whether it's your own kid or your friend's kids, um, you get up close, they mimic, they mirror you. So smiling, baby play, you have to step into their world. So that's pretty straightforward, but that is the foundation of resilience and meaningful connections. So then your three to 12 year olds, I interviewed another unbelievable psychologist called Jennifer Kalari, who has also has a podcast called Connected Parenting. She uses the calm technique. And this is a game changer if you've got young kids, that kind of three to 12 year old age group where what you do with these young kids is we tend to want to quickly go into fix it mode. So let's say you've got a young kid that's having a meltdown because you took the screen away and you told them it's time to have no screen. I don't, it's not fair. The kids around me have way more screen time. You said I could have an extra hour longer. Your first reaction is to just jump in and go, don't be so ungrateful. You shouldn't be on a screen anyway. You go on like this. What you have to do is you have to connect and mirror by, and it takes a lot of self-discipline by stepping into their world and saying, oh, I get it. It must be so hard for you because you were in the middle of that game, weren't you? And you were getting on to that next level and the time just went so fast. And I do this with my, I, I switched to do this with my kids and it changed so dramatically from these big bust ups to, yeah, and it wasn't fair because, you know, Super Mario was, you know, going so well. And... Love your take-off of your kids, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if people um, could see you, you, you've got the whole action oh, going, yeah. you've got the face. I love it. Uh, and <laughs> what I've found is they, they know that I get them. I get it, honey. And then, you know, I, I, I realize how much you love it and you get so much joy. Look, come and just come and have a boring cuddle. Come over here, we'll have a boring cuddle. And I sit there and then I'll, I'll try to change the tune by tickling them or... And what you're showing them is that you're, you know, you are, you are staying calm and you are connecting with them and you get what they're going mm. through. It doesn't mean you... Agree you, with it and you give in or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Want, but it's, exactly. A, it's a level of empathy, I guess, and understanding, isn't it? Yeah. And so, uh, and then I think that mirror th- mirroring and then at that age, three to 12, those community relationships become really important. Mm. And I think for mums that are particularly protective of their kids, this is the letting go stage. So this is where, you know, some of the parents listening might've heard the lollipop man story and go, oh, I don't know about this a strange man touching his nose in front of my child and I get that but we have to let go because if we protect our kids and don't let them have those connections or create a a feeling of fear around those connections then we're stifling you know you've got to remember we're one seventh as a parent of that resilience donut so if you've got a shy kid or you're worried or whatever, you're you're stifling those other connections. Oh, I think so, that's oh. a really good point. The one seventh, you know, with helicopter yeah. parents that you see all the time, like that's a great reminder. It also actually takes the pressure do. off. Yeah, like, that's true. 
And then we yeah. move on to adolescence where that one seventh becomes even less important. Mm. I mean, people will argue with me here. Of course, the parental unit is, is foundational, but adolescence brains are hardwired to leave the nest. I mean, back in our cavemen days, that was when they were you know, pushed out of the tribe to go and fend for themselves. They are meant to move away from us. And that's when all those other connections that you've been building with them and helping them build in their community become way more important than you. And so with, with teenagers, number one, know that them moving away from you is the right thing and what they're meant to do. And then be there for them in those precious moments when they do come back to you and ask curious questions and I love this and by the way I'm borrowing all this advice from my great guests so you know that's oh, great <laughs> my old guests listening, thank you yeah. I'm literally just you know t- taking uh, kind of curating all the great topics and yeah, um, another amazing child psychologist told me about the curious questions when we we're talking about body image and kids instead of jumping straight in and again trying to fix it Ask a curious question if they come in and say something absurd, you know, I hate my body, I'm so fat, or whatever the question might be. Oh, that's interesting, darling. Tell me why you think that and what happened today that made you just have that listening ear on rather than that fix it or judgmental ear, which can be challenging to do. Baby play is another amazing thing to do with teenagers. And I think this is great if you've got nieces and nephews. What I mean by baby play is reminding them how adorable and divine they were when they were babies. So I've got lots of gorgeous girlfriends that, you know, I've seen their kids grow up. And this is the beauty of iPhones and, and uh, you know, photos on your devices is that I will just on Instagram private message a photo of you know, my best friend's daughter, Grace, who's now 14, of her, you know, with chocolate all over her face as a baby and, you know, send her some cute little random message midweek. And it's those sorts of, if you're having, and if you have, feel like you haven't connected with a child, a teenager, if you've got some baby play moments or you just, you know, you were the world's slowest eater when you were a baby, oh, you know, and you kind of have some joking times with them, it's a great way to reconnect in a kind of safe way. Yeah, it's easy, as you say, just making that effort, isn't it? It's lovely. Yeah, so they would be sort of very high level, some of my kind of top tips to reconnect. And I think just, being aware that like if you are in a situation where you're surrounded by children to actually just take a moment go okay who am I going to connect with today Mm, who am I going to just you know make a little jovial you know equivalent of the nosy thing doesn't have to be a grand gesture yeah I I think it's um but to your point there's a couple of things there that I'd love to flesh out a little bit one around the you know stranger danger stuff and how do we allow our children to develop and grow and have relationships and you know connections with people that are not within our inner circle because to your point it's so vital Um, I just remember all through my sort of childhood and stuff and all the different connection points I'd had out of my sort of family unit and things as well but you know in those days we used to ride our bikes you know forever I used to walk to school like it's very different world now so how do you navigate that to allow your kids to have connections with the people that you don't necessarily know but not be concerned about that they are in danger, I guess? I think that it's a really delicate balance between raising sensible children that have enough self-esteem that when something doesn't feel right in their guts, they're going to 
remove themselves from a situation or they're going to tell someone about it. And so when you have a strong parental unit that has clear family values and clear boundaries, you know, I'm the boss of my own body is is something that I'm, I drill into my children. I also have a really strong family value that we always tell the truth even when it's hard to. And that comes out all the time with my kids. Like they literally come up to me and go, mummy, you know how we always tell the truth even when it's hard to, I need to tell you something that happened. So I think having that that Those element values. of, of yeah. trust and that if something happens, you're not going to get in trouble. So, so that would be an underlying value. And then closely monitoring your children. So when you, you give them the freedom to have these connections because they're playing soccer on a Tuesday afternoon, but you know... The soccer coach invited them back to his house and it was just the child. You know, some parents may not even, because they don't have that close monitoring, the child might rock up at 8.30 at night and, and the child doesn't even tell them what they did. Whereas if it was best practice, I guess you could say, you would know that your child is at soccer and they, you know, and they wouldn't go and do that without checking with you first. Mm. And that's where you might say, okay, yeah, you know what, I'm great that you have great mates with your soccer coach, but yeah, let's just, um, let's just keep to staying at the field. Yeah, I think it's setting those boundaries and, you know, the values that are right as kids. Interesting. I don't think I've ever told anyone this, and certainly not on a public forum, but when I was 10 yeah. years old, a guy tried to abduct me. And I was, I was walking up to a milk bar and um, he'd sort of block the way with the car and I had my bike and I had to sort of walk this last section and he said, oh, I'm not going to repeat the stuff he said, these horrible things. And anyway, and I kind of, I was so confused by what he was asking me. And he wanted me to get in the car and sort of offered me, you know, all these lollies and all these different things. And I was like, no, no. And it, I remember so vividly and, you know, here I am 40 years later and I can picture exactly. Feel it viscerally. Yeah, everything that he said, what he looked like, what the car looked like still now. And it was because we'd been told you know, these different, to your point about the different values and the different things to look for. And yeah, it was so even, you know, all those years ago, like drilled into us. And my mum was incredibly, um, you know, strong with that. She, she believed in bringing up very independent children, that we had a lot of freedom to do, you know, different things and to go to people's houses and stuff. But she did instill those kind of elements in us. And interesting, um, he left me and the police took so long to come, um, to come and question me and stuff in the house. Because I sort of I was shaken and got home and I was a mess by the time I'd sort of got home. You know, my mum's like, what's going on? And I said, I don't know, I think this kind of happened. I don't know, it was a bit weird because I didn't really know what what sort of happened. And the police took so long because a girl had been abducted and um, so he'd left after me. Yeah, which then freaked me out even more. And the description I gave then helped them to find the guy because it was so specific about stuff. But it always really instilled in me that and any younger kids that, you know, yeah. I sort of I mentor with my little godchildren and uh, mates, kids and stuff, just sort of trying to help them to understand, to recognise those elements, right? So, yeah. And, you know, all it takes is a story like that that you hear or you see it on the news and you're like, right, that's it. My child is not leaving my sight. And, you know, I, listening to that as a parent, I get goosebumps of you know, mm. how am I going to allow my child out there? Mm. But I think we have to put an element of faith and trust in our children and the community that we have set up enough boundaries that, yes, that shit still happens and it's hideous, but in the whole scheme of things, most of our kids are 
safe. Mm. And so it's just that delicate balance. Of, yeah, you know, but it's, it's, like, it's the education. You can't shy away from it, right? I think that's the worst thing. If you yes. don't have those conversations with your kids, that's absolutely. the problem. Absolutely. Like, rather than, you know, saying here's some scenarios, these are the kind of things to look out for. Yeah. And I think that was the only reason I sort of recognised, but I didn't still still didn't really understand it Like because he just he said weird things to me and I was like, I don't know, this man's like, why is he asking me that? Like all of you know. Anyway, I want to come back to right at the start where you said about, um, you know, the importance of connection, which is obviously around, you know, suicide rates, mental health and these, you know, kind of rising statistics, unfortunately, in our society in Australia. What else do you think that we, obviously connection is a really important part. What other things can we do to assist that in your mind? Like in all the work that you kind of do, obviously, Food, nutrition, you know, it's a big part of your life and, you know, feeding kids well, like these growing bodies, you know, helps to nurture them and and, um, make them healthy as well in mind and body. But I'm curious on other sort of elements that you can share with us. I wish I could. I wish I could launch straight into all the nutrition and exercise benefits. But I have to say that, and this is why I've pivoted in my career, screen time would trump those. So I I would love to sit here and spend lots of time talking about the importance of nutrition and exercise. But, you know, if parents could do one thing to improve their child's mental health, uh, it's minimised screen time. And I'm sorry because everyone listening is going to roll their eyes and say... Oh, no, I think people know it. Easy to say, hard to do. correct. Um, Mm. Stick to the guidelines of two hours a day for older kids one hour a day for younger kids and I only do this not because I'm a Nazi but because I hate fighting with my children so I just have a hard and far and my kids are young my oldest is eight so eight down to three so I'm not in the teenage zone yet although I work with a lot of teenagers but my kids I do no screens Monday to Friday and I only do that because it stops fights because there's just not an option and then I let them you know go to town a bit more on the weekends so when you say no screens does that mean no tv either no tv nothing nothing which is starting to become more challenging where so so they've got things like athletics and whatnot so we have when they're allowed to do athletics but i do i make them do it on my laptop i don't let them we have an ipad but that only comes out when we go on airplane flights and it's only got movies on it i don't and only because i've just found that that has been the best way to do it and you know what um, i interviewed david gillespie on screens he's hardcore man like he's hardcore is quite scaremongering actually so I had to kind of dumb it not dumb it down but just calm him down a bit because he equates it to cocaine abuse and blah 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 but it was interesting well there's a lot of statistics yeah like he goes through the addictive patterns and that was and and the the dopamine hit and he he explains if you are interested uh, he explains why it is why it is so damaging to mental health. Mm-hmm. And when I understood the dopamine hacking and how that influences particularly the teenage brain, which has the fastest neurological adaptation other than birth, the second fastest neurological adaptation is during teenage years. And app developers have conned onto that. And so that's why they do. He calls it danger porn and approval porn. So danger porn for boys, approval porn for girls as far as like gaming and Mm. then social media. So yeah, that would be honestly, um, you know, reduce, you know, if you've got young kids, just trying not to introduce them to social media until as late as possible and just keeping it to that 
you know, to that limit, however you can do that. Mm. Um, Say whether it's exercise or, you know, things outside or doing stuff together, getting them to help cooking. Yeah. It's all the things, isn't it? And what you'll find is that the other stuff, the diet and exercise kind of follows suit. I, you know, there's lots, I mean, I, I, another good one is screen time is green time. So if your kids are on screens, they should only be having fruit or vegetable. You know, they can't have other packet snacks. Um, you know, that's just one little nutrient tip that I think is a really easy one to, to implement. Um, screen time is green time. But yeah, I just feel like if I could wave my magic wand, building resilience through connections and minimizing screen time will do a lot to improve those yucky statistics we kicked off with love it so that um i think that's a beautiful cap on the whole kind of conversation you've just nailed it and um you all our kids are going to be magically uh improved in the next couple of weeks thanks oh, to you oh god if you see some strange woman running over to your child going hi how are you how was your day and the kid looking at this mum going what the that's me trying to connect with your child soz <laughs> no i think it's good as you say it's good good reminder for all of us and um but equally i think you know not just for kids it's um so important and you've you know gone through that today but just the connection for community you know as we become an older population as well and you know watching that beautiful show around the um four-year-olds oh. like the connections that those four-year-olds are having with the people yeah. in the you know the homes or the 84 year olds or whatever it's just divine and you can see that both of them are getting benefit from that it's um beautiful so uh you know you've really kind of reminded us all how important that is so thank you amelia it's been lovely to talk to you today my absolute pleasure if you'd like to learn more about today's guest you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website wabisabiseries.com if you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations please subscribe to the series follow us on our socials or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode or maybe even rate, review and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of Wabi Sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.